0: Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings him the most glory and brings us closest to him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Hello, welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Deny, and I am your host. Today we have an incredible episode, but before we get going, I just wanna take a second to ask you, if you haven't already, please head over to iTunes and just click a number of stars, rate this show. Hopefully it's a good rating if you enjoy it. That just really helps other people find this podcast and help other people find freedom amidst their pain. And today we have Jason Kubicek, who I have met at my church, but I had no idea the depth of his story and just how incredibly God has worked in his life. It just makes me wonder how many other incredible testimonies are sitting next to me and sitting next to you each and every Sunday at church. So from getting his leg amputated to what he does now working in prosthetics to just his story and his testimony of his family and his marriage, I know you're going to be really, really touched by this one. So listen up and here is Jason. Well, first off, can you just tell me, because I actually don't know this part of your story. When did you become a Christian and how, what is a little bit of your testimony in that regard?
1: Yeah, so I was, um, I became a Christian when I was 18 years old, um, just before I was 19 years old. And in, through high school, I had a had a best friend that we we were not. Good kids, we we're bad kids, really. And so I was always over at his house, and his parents were believers. And so what it ended up happening was um, he ended up moving away, probably, I was probably just turned 18 when he moved away, and he actually moved to Montana. And when he moved, his parents uh, kind of took me under their wing, and they would always invite me over for dinner. They would um, have me um, just you know, be a part of their life. And I didn't understand why they were, I thought they were just nice. But at the time I was like, yeah, free food. This sounds really mm-hmm. good. So, and they would on occasion invite me to church. And so it eventually I felt like, well, I better go to church because they're doing all this really nice things for me. And,
0: <laughs> and so,
1: yeah. And so, and at the time my friend's name was Jason also. And he, when he moved, um, I started hanging out with his older brother he wasn't any better than, than my friend Jason. And we were, we we're definitely doing a lot of things that we weren't supposed to. And one morning I, I woke up from uh, a party that we had went to and I wasn't feeling very good the next morning. And something in me just, you know, said, this is enough that you're, you're, I don't want you doing this anymore. But I, and I had not given my heart to the Lord at that point. And I made a, made a decision. like, I'm done with this lifestyle, but I didn't know what that meant the next weekend uh we were at ch- i went to church with his parents and we were at church and uh they gave a, a call at the end anybody wants to accept jesus stand up and the next thing i knew i was standing up but i didn't make like i didn't feel like i made a decision to stand up i was standing up and i was mm. weeping and crying and yeah. i realized at that point that this is this is what i was supposed to do and this is what god was prompting in me the weekend before
0: yeah um, It's just like the Holy Spirit was obviously working in you way before, right? Just when we talk about God chooses us, not necessarily we always choose Him.
1: For sure, yeah. it's
0: kind of how I feel hearing your story, which Mm -hmm. is awesome. Yeah. So I know you from church Mm -hmm. a little bit, and I I worked with your son. My husband does worship, and so I I did the little, I don't know, lyrics, right? I hit the little (laughs) arrow so that people know when to (laughs) sing, and if it messes up and the slide goes back, that's me. But um, So that's kind of how... Um, we came together as I worked with him and then know your wife. And she just mentioned to me one day at church when I was talking about, oh, I'm like starting this podcast. And she's like, yeah, my husband, you know, works with prosthetics. And I was like, does he have one? Like, what is this? And she's like, yeah. And I mean, you always, in general, I think every time I've seen you wear jeans and boots. And so I didn't even know your story. And so You just shared that with me. And so I know there's like a huge gap now just hearing from when you came to Christ to now. Obviously, I don't know how old were you when this accident happened? I was 20. Oh, okay. So it was actually only like two years after you became a Christian. Yes. Okay. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I did not know it was when you were that young.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happened between that time I gave my life to Christ and the accident. So a lot went on in, in my life at that point
0: will you share some of that or is it? Uh,
1: I mean, yeah. So, so after I started going to church on a regular basis, I remember one Sunday, it wasn't very long. It was probably honestly a month after I gave my heart to Christ. Uh, I looked across the church and I seen this really beautiful woman and I'm like, wow, she's really pretty. And I'm like, Oh, man, that's Sarah Cunningham. I went to high school with Sarah. Mm. And I thought, I better ask her out because she's really cute. And Aww. so after church, I asked her out and she said yes. And one year and one month later, we were married.
0: Wow. So you got married. You were newly married then when this accident happens.
1: Yes. Yes. Very newly married.
0: Okay. Y'all were telling me this story and I just, in, what, in my mind, I just pictured you had been married 10 years and I don't know, but... <laughs> no.
1: Wow. Um, yeah, very newly married. So we had had our first child, Isaiah, and I took a week off of work to spend time with Sarah and Isaiah. And it was my first day back at work that um, that the accident happened.
0: Okay. So, so take us through that. And it's okay if it is just a heads up for people listening. It might be a little bit graphic. So if, mm-hmm. if you don't like that, just skip a few <laughs> minutes ahead. Um, but yeah, just tell us that story.
1: Yeah, so it was, uh, I worked excavation, so construction, and so we, you know, we were we were putting in a um, water lines for an apartment complex, and we were using an excavator for that. And we had cut through a bank where the where the driveway was going to come in uh, to the apartment complex on the upper side, and on and just through that driveway, that cut in the bank for the driveway was the water line was getting installed, and we were we were putting that in. And it was getting towards the end of the day, and the operator that was running the excavator asked if I could go get him a soda. And I said sure. And so I went and grabbed him a soda, and I made eye contact with him, and um, walked the ditch line, made eye contact. He saw me, uh, and I came up alongside the excavator. And the excavators, for people who don't know, are the they're they're like a backhoe, but they have the tracks on them, the big metal tracks on them on the side and uh so i reached up on the side by the track to hand him the soda and he dropped the bucket which is what he everybody would do but when he did he when the bucket hit the ground he pushed hard on the hydraulics which when the ground's there the bucket's not going to go anywhere so the force has to go somewhere so the the whole body of the excavator came up and then slid over and when it slid over uh i was right there on the side and so it had landed on my leg and kind of essentially smeared my leg across the ground and pinned me up against the, the dirt wall and the cut bank. And I was pinned up against it. it and if it would have went another 10 inches, it would have cut me in half in my torso. But it stopped right then and there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I screamed. And uh, he backed off and he moved the the excavator. And as I'm falling to the ground, I saw my leg laying on the ground. And I just knew I didn't want to look at that again.
0: Yeah. So you're sitting here, you know, your leg just got cut off. Tell me what you told me about the, what your body does with the blood vessels. Cause I didn't know this.
1: Yeah. So um, it, so the, the injury was below my knee. So um, it wasn't above. So it, thank goodness it didn't hit my femoral artery, um, but there are still arteries down there. And what the, what the doctors had told me um, when it happened is that your body has this failsafe in the sense that if it starts losing a lot of blood if an artery is ruptured or cut it senses that and it, it'll actually shut the flow of blood off to where you don't bleed out it's kind of a neat feature and it doesn't work on apparently all the arteries but where hmm. it got where my leg got amputated it it worked so and thank goodness probably
0: saved your life right
1: it did yeah and because uh, it was. It felt like an eternity before the ambulance got there and then you didn't
0: go into shock. I mean you were mm-hmm. coherent the whole time.
1: I was unfortunately.
0: So yeah. what was going through your head at this point? Just pain?
1: Uh, yeah, it was like the worst pain I'd ever felt in my life. And as I'm laying there I was I wanted the pain to stop and I'm really kinda of upset that I'm not in shock and I'm not mm-hmm. and I didn't pass out and I thought maybe I can ask somebody to pick up a rock and hit me over the head with it. So mm-hmm. at least I'll get knocked out. And I'm thought, no, that's stupid. Then I'll probably die. So I better not ask anybody to do that, you know? And, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was just constant. This pain that just didn't go away until they put me out for surgery.
0: Yeah. Did you, at any point, were you praying or was that just not even a reaction? Cause you're in
1: <laughs> shock. Um uh, anger. Well, okay. any of it? so, so it's kind of funny cause, uh, that definitely the words that were coming out of my mouth were not edifying to God at that time. (laughs) Okay. Um, It's fair. So, so, um, but what was funny is I I was thinking about this. um, When I did go to the hospital and I'm I'm in there and they rushed me into the ER and I got nurses and doctors and paramedics all around me and everything. I didn't know what state I was in, to be honest with you. I didn't know if I was injured to the point of I'm going to die or if this is some maybe i'm making this out to be bigger than it was but I, I didn't know where i was at but i thought what was going through my head at the time I was like well if this is it if i'm going to die i, I know i'm going in for surgery I, I at least know that and if i'm going to die i better make my last moments that I have worth it. And so I remember talking to the nurse and I'm like, Do you know Jesus? you know and she's (laughs) like she's like, Oh yes, I know Jesus And I'm like I'm like, okay, are you sure you know Jesus? you know and 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 just just saying that to her and she's just being really nice and holding my hand and I just wanted to make sure that everybody around me knew who Christ was at the time. And it was it's kinda funny. It's just was it was uh I was a little embarrassed about how over-the-top I was with it, but I thought, well, if I'm going out, I'm going to go out doing what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. And so I'm going to backtrack you a little bit just because I'm curious, but you did you did not grow up in a Christian home then. Oh, no, not at all. And so coming, you know, not having been raised of like, oh, you know, I've just always been a Christian, which it, I'm not, that's a good story too. And mm-hmm. you have a testimony if that's your story. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming to Christ at 18, I mean, was it this radical shift of just lifestyle or beliefs. And then, you know, like you really wanted to share Jesus with others. What did that look like?
1: Yeah, it was a complete radical shift because like I, like I said, my, I grew up in an incredibly dysfunctional home. Like it was, it was, it was abusive. It was absolutely as not normal as you could, you could have of a home. And, um, I was pretty rebellious. Um, I was pretty angry. So, Growing up, I, I basically was that bad kid. I was the kid that everybody had issues with. That that I mean, I, I was likable, but at the same time, I was gonna do something wrong, and that that was just my nature. Um, and especially once we got into high school, we did really bad things. It wasn't just like, oh, he's just rebellious. It was, it was we we were not good people yeah. at all. So and so
0: then when you came to know the Lord, did you just felt like your desires changed? I mean, did that happen overnight?
1: It was, uh, for me, it was pretty much instantaneous. It was like, it was like that weekend before I gave my life to Christ. I, we were, we were actually hunting. It was, uh, it was September 1st and, um, it was opening weekend of hunting season and, and, and me and my friend, Eric, my, my friend's older brother, and then another one of his friends, we were up camping and, and there was this huge party up on top of what was called Shady Pass and a massive party and it was it was just a wild wild night and um, like I said I woke up that next morning and usually what I would do after uh, a huge night of partying is I'd have a terrible hangover and so the first thing I'd do is I would I would crack a beer when I'd wake up to to help with that and I cracked that beer and, and this is before I gave my life to Christ the weekend before, mm-hmm. but I, but God was still working in, mm-hmm. in my life at that time. I just didn't know it. And I went to go take a drink of the beer and I'm like, no more. And I, and I literally started to pour the beer out just as my friend, Eric opened up the camper door. He's like, what are you doing wasting the beer? And I says, I'm done. And he goes, what do you mean you're done? I said, I'm done with this life. I'm not going to do this anymore. So, so yes, It was instantaneous. For me, to the point of like the next weekend I gave my life to Christ, it was like I knew that I had to cut ties with every single person in my life at that at that moment. All these people that were in my life, my best friends, my closest friends, I knew it was I knew I was done with that. And so, yeah, I that was it wasn't it wasn't tough for me. It was something that I was just I knew I had had to do. Um, it was tougher for them and they didn't understand why. I I was doing that, but I knew that if I continued, even though I gave my life to Christ, I knew if I continued to hang out with those people, I would slowly slip back into that life again.
0: Yeah. Was it hard to make new friends? I mean, did you ever feel like an isolation period or were you like, this is just, this is the new path and I'm going?
1: You know, when uh, it was, it was really great because when my friend's parents started taking me to church throughout the months leading up to that. I developed friendships that I didn't know I was, there were actually friendships in the church. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a whole church praying for me and I had wow. a whole church that was coming alongside me. And I didn't know it at the time, but they, that I was like their focus. Like, wow. and so it was really nice to, to come almost instantly into that into the fellowship of, of, all those people.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So cool. It's just so fun. Cause I don't, I don't know your story. <laughs> um, so let's go back flash forward, I guess, two more years to this accident. Mm-hmm. You're sharing Jesus with the nurse and you go into surgery. What did they do in this surgery? They took your leg and reattached it.
1: Yes, they did. Okay. So the first surgery was, um, It was a six hour surgery. They reattached it. They had a bracket coming up from what was left of my leg, drilled into uh, my bone with a bracket coming up and drilled into different parts of what was left of my other, you know, the leg, the part of the leg was, that was damaged. Um, Then there was complications and went back in like the same night for another three hour surgery to fix issues. And then, it was it was kind of just like monitoring it and seeing what was going to happen if if all the stuff was going to take or not
0: like and scientifically it, can your veins i mean if the whole thing is severed i mean what the goal is that they would just did they just grow back i don't even understand how that works yeah work.
1: and i'm 100 i'm not 100% sure of like how okay. all that works yeah. but i'm not a doctor but they they reattached everything so what they ended up doing was the one artery in my leg was completely destroyed and severed. So they ended up going into my other leg. So I have a big scar along my other leg that they took a vein out of it to replace the artery that was destroyed in my left leg. Mm -hmm. And so um, the hope was that everything would kind of grow and it would slowly start to regenerate and everything.
0: Okay. And so then after this, you're sitting here, I guess, a day afterwards, and they say you're probably going to have to have an amputation and you said
1: well actually it was it was longer than that it was um I was I was in so we lived in uh in central Washington at the time and so that it was a it wasn't a really big town it was like a town of 50,000 people so it didn't really have a a huge hospital or a super high-tech hospital Mm -hmm. and I was there for a few days and they recognized at that point that that they couldn't do anything that it was what I had going on was outside of their capabilities. So they sent me over to Harborview in Seattle, which was, it's a, it's a killer hospital. I mean, they have the best of the best over there. And so I was over there for a couple of days. They, everything, and I was on a lot of meds. So days Mm. kind of flow together a little bit there. And I want to say that they went in for a surgery after I got to, or, or like an exploratory surgery Mm -hmm. or, and more tests to see what was going on. Yeah. And then it was at that point when the doctor came in and said, you know, you have two choices. You can, you can amputate or we can try to save your leg, but the chances of us saving it are, are pretty, pretty small. And if we do, you'll probably have multiple surgeries over the next you know, year and a half, two years, always be in a wheelchair, always be in pain and eventually have to get it, uh, amputated anyway.
0: And what was your response towards God in that?
1: My reaction immediately was I, I, before, almost before he could even finish talking, I said, no, God's going to heal my leg. We're not going to amputate. And he says, I understand that you feel strongly about this, but we have to look at the facts. I said, no, you don't understand. No, not the I don't care about the facts. I know God and he's, he's going to heal my leg. Mm
0: -hmm. Especially when you've had such an immediate shift coming to Mm -hmm. the Lord. I, yeah, understand that. And so then you went home and did you and Sarah pray or you prayed through when did God speak to you about that?
1: Well, I'm in the hospital the whole time. I've never left, never left the hospital. And, um,
0: is Sarah there with you?
1: At this point, yes. She's over there. Also um, as a
0: newborn, right?
1: Yeah. Newborn, newborn oh, baby, you know. Um, and, and to top it off, you know, she was, Isaiah wasn't eating. He was losing mm. weight. He wasn't doing good. He actually had to get admitted into the hospital while I'm over there also. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so, and we're, we're young. We're, we're, we don't have very much money at all. Mm-hmm. We're in a, in a big city that we're not used to. And, we have to stay over there or she has to stay over there. I'm in the hospital the whole time and they're trying to figure stuff out. What was really, really pretty cool. And kind of a side note is that Harborview has a set of apartments that family can stay in and then they can rent out. And we're like, well, we don't have really any money to pay rent there and pay rent back in our home. And they said, no, that it's $7 a month. And we're like, Oh, we can do seven dollars a month, wow. and I said, "Okay, well, let's do that's that." That's awesome because it was based off your income, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was I, I was the only one working yeah. at the time and not making much money, very much at all. So
0: that's cool. Mm-hmm. I wonder, do you have any idea if they still do that? That's a nice system. Know. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I think that they do. I think the apartments are still there, and you and it's just based on your income, and you can uh, you can rent them out if you need to.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you're like God's gonna heal me, mm-hmm. and then obviously you end up having like amputated. So how? What changed your mind?
1: Yeah, so that night I, you know, the, those those nights in the hospital rooms are the worst. They're so long and you don't generally sleep um, because you're just laying there not doing anything and you're all alone. And so those nights are really long and God just, um, God just spoke to me and he just he says, the healing I want to do in you is not a physical healing. And I had peace knowing that it's okay. Which was which I know is God because it's completely opposite of what I wanted. I'm I'm a young twenty year old guy in really good shape in the prime of my life, just married with my kid and like last thing I want to do is say, Yeah, cut my leg off, you know. And um but I knew it's what God wanted.
0: So when you say you you heard God's voice, just for people, there might be someone listening who's brand new to the faith or maybe just listening in, maybe mm-hmm. isn't a believer in Jesus. Like what did that, it wasn't an audible voice. How did that work with you when you say you felt like he told you that?
1: It wasn't an audible voice. It was just more like an instantaneous download. It was like, oh, okay, God. I mean, it was just there and I knew it was God and I knew it was, the the peace just came over me instantly mm-hmm. and I knew exactly what I needed to do, but it was like he just downloaded it into my heart immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was there.
0: Yeah. I had a friend once tell me, and, and I think this is really good. And so far I think it's proved good is he said, follow peace. Like when you're trying to figure out the will of the Lord, just follow peace. And if, mm-hmm. if you're in all this turmoil and all these things, there might be something mm-hmm. not of the Lord, but if you, if it seems crazy, but you have peace, there's a good chance that that's God right. speaking, right. which I think is really good. And then just Tell everyone about what happened once you had the amputation and the guy across the curtain.
1: Yeah, so his name was Forrest. And um, after my amputation, I was put in a shared room. So there was two beds in the room and there was a curtain separating the two beds. When I initially uh, went into the room, I was the only one in there. And I'm just laying there after my amputation and I hear down the hall, this commotion, I hear this guy yelling obscenities and being really mean to the nurses and the doctors. And as he's yelling, the yelling gets louder as he gets closer and closer. And I'm like, he's coming in here. I know he's, (laughs) I know he's going to get put in my room and sure enough, he wheels right into my room and he's yelling and screaming and, and I didn't really get to see him much as he went past the foot of my bed across to the other side where the curtain was drawn and he gets put in there and he continues to scream they get him all set up and the nurses leave and I'm just laying there and he says he yells hey ugly I said (laughs) hey he goes what are you in for and I said oh I just got my leg cut off and there was silence and he goes oh he said I guess my situation isn't really that bad is it I said, well, everything's relative. I mean, it's probably really bad to you. So, I mean, it probably is. So don't worry about it, you know? And so we, we just started making small talk and I just started to talk to him about, uh, Jesus. And I, and I don't, I don't really remember a hundred percent how it led in, how, if I just started blurting it out or if he asked, you know, how you doing with stuff, but, we the conversation switched to Christ, and I was able to talk to him for a really long time about Jesus and about um, what he did in my life and the the peace that he gave me. And backtrack, he was in a drunk driving accident. So he was he was in a wreck. He was in a car wreck because he was drinking and driving. And so I, I always one thing that always stuck with me is like, well, you never. Never witnessed to a drunk person, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, I have an opportunity. I'm going to do this, you know, and so, so I did. And we went to sleep that night and we woke up the next morning and he says, hey, are you awake? And I said, yeah, I'm awake. And he says, I had a dream about Jesus and I was sitting at the foot of the cross and I looked up, but I couldn't see his face. And he goes, I want you to know I'm giving my life to Christ. And as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to change my life. And I was just like, man, this is, this is awesome. And I, I remember thinking like, God, if this is why you wanted me to lose my leg, if this was the only reason for the rest of my life that he gave his life to Christ, that Forrest gave his life to Christ, then it's totally worth it.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm crying again here it mm-hmm. for the second time because it's just incredible. And I know you might have had to process losing your leg a lot afterwards, Mm -hmm. but just in this moment of like, is my leg worth someone's eternity? Yeah. You know, I mean, that is a crazy question because here you are, I don't know how old you are, Mm -hmm. but having dealt with this for, for many years, few decades, even like that is still with you. Yeah. But like how much longer is eternity?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, did you ever hear from him again or is it just a one time?
1: I never saw him again. And, um, Mm -hmm. He's in a completely different city. I don't know. And I always wonder, like, man, I'd love to I'd love to see that guy someday, you know? Yeah. but
0: Well, maybe he'll be at your heaven welcoming party. <laughs> That's what right? I think of those divine appointments, is that we're going to see all those people, you yeah. know, when we get there. And um, it's just incredible. So that in itself, we could stop there. But <laughs> just going forward, you end up having your leg amputated. Did you ever get mad at God? Did you ever face anger at, it was clearly an accident, but even the guy who, you know, accidentally ran ran this machine into you. I mean, what was the aftermath of that once you started processing this new reality?
1: So as far as if I was ever angry at the guy, no, I was never angry with him. Um, It was a hundred percent accident. He was during, uh, right after the accident, he sat and he wept for Hmm. hours and hours and hours in the hospital. And he was you know, I, I felt so bad for him, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so no, never angry, never angry with him in any way, shape or form. Um, it was an accident.
0: Just and then that. he, was he a Christian? He was. You know? Yeah.
1: Okay. He's a believer.
0: Cause I can't imagine that side of, of mm-hmm. the guilt of it was a hundred percent an accident, but yeah. what do you do with that? But it's cool. I don't, did y'all yeah. get to talk about that as brothers in Christ or work through that?
1: Um, it was funny, you know, we work construction. So cons- construction workers are not big on emotions yeah so we just kind of went on with their life at that at that point you know but what was really cool is like he him and his wife actually worked through like a a parenting uh, study with us you know because Isaiah was was really young and everything so after that we would do like bible studies with him and we never like, but we never brought it up. We never discussed it. Wow. So yeah.
0: Okay. Here I am female brain trying to wrap my head around that, <laughs> but, um, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So moving forward, what did adjusting to a new life look like? Where did you just pick up and like, this is mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. How is Sarah doing through all this?
1: Sarah is awesome. She, when, whenever there's a crisis. Sarah, um, goes into this, like, she's like a cyborg. She's like this robot on a mission there. And like, she, she never panics. She looks, okay, what's my next task at hand to make this be okay? You know? And so she was just like that. She just, she just, um, she powered through everything and did everything she needed. And Sarah's always been like the hardest worker in the entire world, like works harder than anybody. And she just, she does whatever whatever is needed to make things be okay. So well, she was awesome with it.
0: Awesome that you had a support system too. Imagine going through that alone.
1: You know, uh, I tell you, I was one of the one of the biggest struggles that I I still to this day have, um, but especially being a young kid newly married was, what is my wife going to think of me? What mm-hmm. is like how is she going to look at me after losing my leg? Um, and you think you're just you know, she's going to look at like, I'm not, I'm not a complete man. I'm, Mm. you know, she, how's she ever going to find me attractive again? You know? And that was, that was really, really tough, but never ever once did she ever give me any indication to think like that. She was always loving and supportive and in every way. And I never felt like she looked at me different in any way. Mm. So she was, she was awesome.
0: What would you say to someone who maybe they're young, maybe they're not married and they're having some of those feelings of like, well, I'm not great. Like she was already committed to you kind of thing, (laughs) you know, but like, what do I do when I'm like this and I'm single, you know?
1: Yeah. And I would, I would actually say to those people that God has this perfect person for you and whoever, whoever that is, they're going to have a heart for you as a person, not for Mm -hmm anything that you think is a, um, is a negative trait about yourself. Um, it doesn't, that stuff, that stuff to them doesn't matter, you know, because Mm -hmm. if, if God wants you two together, he's going to, he's going to give each of you a heart for each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Say that again. I don't know. Do you know how I met Jacob? No. So get this, my good guy friend from Arkansas, where I went to college, he's from South Africa. Mm -hmm. I'm now living in Texas And Jacob lives in Montana. Mm -hmm. He lost his job and therefore went to a conference in California where he met my friend from Arkansas. (laughs) They became close really fast. And then we went to... He was a groomsman in his wedding. So I drove (laughs) up from Texas. We met at a wedding in Oklahoma. Which just when you say, like, God will make it happen. (laughs) I don't even know if people listening could follow that. Yeah, Um, It is just insane. But also something... Even it might not be a physical thing, but I, for example, am, have always struggled with being super strong and intimidating and yeah. things t- to guys. And what's <laughs> funny is he never saw that. Mm-hmm. He walked up to me and asked me to dance and he was like, well, I actually like the fact that you weren't trying to flirt and were like standoffish. <laughs> and I was like, what? Um, so just whatever it is, even if it's an emotional, yeah. like I totally agree that, that God will, will make that happen and, and He's enough until then or, or whatever plan He has for yeah. your life. So, um, But that's just cool to hear that about yeah. about Sarah. Um, random question. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get phantom pain?
1: Yeah. I mean, I still do. I mean, yeah. I get... Um, now it's... Every once in a while I'll get a phantom pain um, out of the blue. Feels like somebody hits my toe with a hammer hmm. and it hurts really bad. But the worst are the phantom itches. Like my bottom of my foot itches, but it's not there and I can't scratch it. And it's like torture. It drives me crazy. So, and as, as, as years went on, they got less and less at first. They were really, really terrible, like Hmm. super bad. But as, as years went on, they, they subsided to some degree.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. When you talk about chronic pain, we often think of like pain. That's more, I mean, it's phantom pain or phantom itching. That's I mean, did did it ever drive you insane?
1: It does. It's crazy. It's like it'll wake me up in the middle of the night and I'm like, I want to scratch this itch so bad, but I can't because it's not there, you know. And so you learn to kind of with your residual limb. So all the nerves that went down to the foot and everything were, they're still there. They're just severed. They're just Hmm. cut. And so if I can massage my residual limb and find where that nerve is, sometimes I can hit it and subside it there a little bit. Hmm. So it works fairly well. So not all the time.
0: Is it just a physical thing or do you ever like, I, I, maybe I'm female, but I feel like if I were in your situation, I'd be like, God, can you just like make it stop? You know, like you're all powerful. Can you just make it like, you can itch my imaginary itch, you know? Yeah,
1: I do. I pray. I'm like, Oh God, I am not sleeping through this. So can you please make this stop? You know? And Mm -hmm. yeah, I do. I pray about it all the time. I mean, it's a, does it stop? Sometimes,
0: sometimes, yeah. yes, sometimes, sometimes,
1: yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes God doesn't want to heal the, the physical and that's just, that's okay. You yeah. Know, we may not understand it, but that's okay.
0: So what has he done in you emotionally, spiritually, mentally through this when, okay, this is a physical thing. What has God taught you through it in the other areas?
1: Oh man. Um, so that's a really long answer <laughs> in that because that could be, I mean, so like I said, I was, I was in a, um, a really dysfunctional household growing up. And so just a little bit of a backstory, if that's all right. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? So <clears throat> my, my mom worked in a, a warehouse office. She was like an office lady there. And, uh, it was for, um, it was a fruit packing warehouse and my dad was an orchard foreman. And so he was married to a, a whole other, had a whole other family, um, had four kids and, um, liked my mom though. And mm-hmm. so they developed a relationship while he was still married. So ended up, you know, through after a few years after they were, um, in this relationship, I, I was conceived. And so I was this kind of, oops, this is mm-hmm. not, this is not right. You know? And so throughout this whole thing, uh, he stayed married, still stayed with his family and everything mm-hmm. but he would take care of us he would put us up in houses and and stuff like that and provide for us to some degree but uh he was super abusive to my mom to to me he wasn't so to to him women were a, a they were a lesser species than men mm-hmm. and so he he loved me because I was I was male and and but he would he would beat my mom um mm-hmm. pretty bad And so, and I remember like when I was six years old, um, growing up in, in that environment, it was normal to me. That was just the way it was. And, and I didn't know any better, but I was six years old. He, he taught, I remember him teaching me one time how to beat a woman if she didn't do what you wanted. And he used my mom as a, as example, he kicked my mom. He said, now you kick her. Like you would if the if the woman doesn't do what you want, you know. And growing up, that was my whole view of how a man should be. Of course, as I got older, I realized that this is not right. You know, yeah. even 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 so, uh, you know, it's still stuck with me. And so it's, it's such a weird dynamic to grow up to grow up in a house like that, because you hated what he did to your mom, but at the same time you had some admiration for him because number one, he's your dad mm-hmm. because you wanted, you wanted to have that relationship with him yeah. and you looked up to him to some degree and you admired his strength. Uh, he is as messed up as that sounds. So there's that whole stuff going on inside of your head all the time. Mm-hmm. And then we, and then after we finally left him, went to a women's shelter and then my mom got remarried again. And this time, he was th- this guy, another abusive guy. He was not only abusive to mom, but he was abusive to me.
0: How old are you now?
1: Uh, she started dating him when I was ten. They were married okay. right when I was at eleven, you know, okay. somewhere in there. And so, so that throws into this whole other thing. So, long story is, like, I had a lot of baggage. I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of wrong ways of thinking. Um, I knew it was right and wrong you know, and I more knew what I didn't want to do. I knew what lines I didn't want to cross, you know, but I didn't know how to be a man. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to treat women. Um, so I think, and this is just me and I don't, I don't, I don't like, God didn't like tell me this or anything, but I feel like God used this to humble me in a way that I could have never been humbled before because, If the accident hadn't happened, I don't know if Sarah and I would still be married, to be honest with you, because God did such a work in me to change my who I was and to heal me from uh, the past hurts that I had that Mm. I don't think I could have experienced those things had the accident not happened. Our timing is not God's timing, obviously. So we look at like, oh, well, you know, well, you lost your leg and now you're humbled and now you're like you're, you're falling after Christ and everything's all better now. It's like, no, this is a process. I mean, this is like, this process started a long time, maybe probably before my leg was lost. And then that was just part of the Mm -hmm. process. But literally it wasn't, it wasn't until probably 15 years later that, well, God was always speaking to me, but I wasn't necessarily listening. It wasn't until I, then that I actually started to get what he was trying to tell me and the man and the person that he wanted me to be. And I actually started to take action to do that. So
0: what, what, what was that catalyst after 15 years?
1: <laughs> Sarah, she, um, she's awesome. She, um, she's just, she, she grew up in an abusive home, like thousand times worse than me. I mean, really, really like terrible. And so, um, she was, she, her story is another story like that would blow people's minds, you know, but she had, she had a lot of hurts. And so she, she started, uh, reaching out to people to get, to, to figure out what to do, how to, how to get past this, you know, and she started meeting with this lady, uh, named Holly. And, um, every week she would meet with Holly and Holly, it was awesome. And her husband's name is Jack. And so Holly would put her through work like like do workbooks and like studies and like okay and just talk with her and be there and mentor and just disciple her. And Sarah was making these amazing changes in her life. Like Mm -hmm. changes that I had never never ever thought were possible. Like she was awesome to begin with but she was phenomenal after this. And so through this I was not a I wasn't a good person. Like I was Mm -hmm. a terrible husband. Like honestly I was not uh, I didn't treat her with respect. I still had all these past hurts that would, that would come to the surface, in my life, and they just they come out with just this, just anger and meanness and nastiness. And never once, never once did Sarah ever say anything negative about me to Holly. Never, hmm. she said. She says I I'm focusing on myself and what I need. What I need the healing in. And, and as far as Holly knew, I was the most perfect husband in the entire world. Mm-hmm. So one day Sarah and I get in an argument. And and I, we, I knew Holly and I knew Jack really well. We went to church with them. So we get in this big old argument. And I said, we're going over to Jack and Holly's. And I said, I'm going to tell them what happened. And you'll see. They're going to come down on you. And they're going to tell you how wrong you are. So we go over to Jack and Holly's. It was the complete opposite. It was terrible. And then all of a sudden, all eyes are on me. And they're like, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And then, like, literally by the end of the night, I was bawling in my sweatshirt. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, this mm-hmm. is this is very strange. And, and that night, we went back home. We continued to argue. And I says, I'm doing my best. And Sarah says, your best isn't good enough. And I'm like, oh, man, there's something about that statement that mm-hmm. just... Um, that just wrecked me, you know. Mm. And at that point, I made the decision that I was done with um, with serving the Lord. I didn't want really? I didn't want any part of this because I'm trying what I thought was my best and doing what I thought mm. needed to be done, and doing honestly what I thought God wanted me to do. And I was I was fed up with it, and so I tried so hard to walk away from God. Mm. I, I mean, I wanted. I wanted nothing to do with him, but he continued to pursue me. And I was so angry with him because he, he wouldn't leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And it was finally at that point, I just, I just broke. And I recognized that this was, this was on me. It wasn't Sarah. It was, it was me not addressing the hurts of my past and not allowing God to work through me and trying to do it on my own. And from that point on, once I accepted responsibility for my actions and didn't put blame on everybody else, then God's like, okay, now I can start doing some stuff mm-hmm. with you, you know? And it was, it's still a process, uh, because it was like, I equate it to like, God broke those chains, but I had to choose to walk away from that cell. Like, wow. and and it's, it's been a journey. So
0: yeah, I am just in awe because I don't really know y'all that well. Yeah. And this is just so amazing to hear. But I mean, you want to talk about God's redemption of pulling you both from abusive backgrounds mm-hmm. and putting you together. And now yeah. you have a whole redeemed marriage. I mean, that's yeah. the, the power of God mm-hmm. is, is incredible. My question is through all this, and then you described your father, did you ever have issues with God as a father? Because of your earthly example, Um,
1: I didn't have issues with God. I I had um, insecurities about God because all I ever wanted was a dad, a real dad, you know. Mm -hmm. And with with my with my biological father, I got bits and pieces of him because he had another family, and Mm -hmm. so and I was kind of this like point of shame in his life of what he did and he, and he would come around and, and I'd see him. But if I, I couldn't talk to him in public because then it would draw too much attention, you know? And so that was really hard. And then of course, when, when my mom got married again, I wanted a dad, I thought I got a dad now Mm -hmm. and that didn't work out, you know? And so through that, I have a natural tendency to view God in a way that he's not trustworthy, that he doesn't really love me. Like, I know he does, but in my, but my natural reaction is to just be like, oh, he just, he wants the worst for me. He wants to, he wants to punish me, you know? And so even though I know it's not true, but that's, that's where I, where I go or have gone and I'm getting better with it, but it's, it's still kind of tough, you know, sometimes those thoughts creep in, you know, and I'm like, no, this isn't, this isn't God, this isn't his character. I, I know this, and as mm-hmm. as I get to know him more, I have more and more peace and more and more confidence of who he is,
0: yeah, and I think it's also a really good point to people that you had this come to Jesus moment or as a direct shift, but mm-hmm. then not everything in your life is like that, like you still have to work through some some stuff with the mm-hmm. Lord, and that that takes time right
1: it does it takes a lot of time and it takes actually, it takes effort. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of like, once they say, God, heal me, that they don't have to do anything at that point, that God's going to do all the work. No, that's not what God calls us to do. Hmm. God calls us to put in that effort, to put one foot in front of the other and walk towards him and trusting in him with faith.
0: Yeah. And I, I do not agree with the quote that says time heals all wounds. No. Um, I, I don't. I think if you are a bitter young person, you become a bitter old person. And we look at the really cute, sweet couples and stuff. And we're like, oh, everyone becomes that. And mm-hmm. I do not. I, I think you have the old grumpy neighbor who is, didn't deal with the stuff before. And 100%. Don't, I think it rots in time. It doesn't heal.
1: And it will come out. And that's the one thing I learned. And I would always say, well, my past was my past. and it, And it made me who I am today. And there's nothing I can do about it. And that's what I always mm-hmm. used to say. But you know what? It comes back. It like it'll surface in areas that uh, and in ways that are not good, that yeah. are really, really bad. And you don't have control over that. When they come out, they come out. And for whatever reason, generally it comes out, starts to come out in your thirties and forties. Hmm. And Great. <laughs> I don't know what why, but those past hurts that you haven't dealt with and and when I when I say dealt with, I mean really give to God. And, and let him show you the work that needs to be done and let him do the work in you. If you don't deal with them, they're going to come out. There's no way around it.
0: When you say deal with them, what would you tell someone who's like, okay, I'm, I kind of want to deal with them. Is that (laughs) like counselors, recovery groups, mentors? I mean, what does that look like?
1: Everybody's different. You know, it's just really hard to say what is going to be that, that key series of events um, that that person is going to need, you know? with me, God put people in our lives that were strategically placed there. Mm -hmm. And like they, they were there. I had to take the steps to, to develop that relationship, you know, and God put them there for reasons. Like, okay, here's your tools that you need to, you need to use, but you got to pick them up and use them, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and they were people like Jack and Holly that, that literally changed our lives. That like, I mean, it was just, it was really cool. It's so silly. Like Jack became my mentor and, you know, and so, and they're in, they're in their sixties, they're in their late sixties now. And so to me, he was like a father figure. He doesn't like me telling him that because it makes Mm -hmm. him feel old. You know, he just, they just look at us as friends, you know, but he's, you know, he's 25 years older than I am, you know? So he is like a father figure to me mm-hmm. and we, <laughs> he would take me fishing and we'd go fishing together and I'd just start crying because I'm like, because it's like, it's what I always wanted my dad to do. Mm-hmm. And so I never, never had that. And he filled that role. And that was one of the things that I needed to, um, to get some healing in was to have that role of to be like, this is, this is what a father does. And this is how much he loves you. Mm-hmm. So, and it was, it was, that's what I needed.
0: Yeah. So. so is there a balance between God just coming after you? Cause he is the relentless pursuer and being like, man, I don't, I don't have that person in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Could someone just start asking God and praying for it? You know?
1: Yeah. You, I mean, like I said, I mean, it may be for me, I'm a people person. Like, I I need people. Like, I love to be around people. So
0: quarantine's been really fun for you.
1: I, well, I'm not really quarantined too terribly much. I'm still around people, you know. My job is, I'm still still going. So um, I'm still trying to be that. But yeah, it has been tough not being able to say, hey, let's go to dinner with so-and-so. And, 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 you know, because... I love that. I love that fellowship. I love that time. You know. So for me, it was people. For me, it was Jack and and other people that gathered around. For somebody else it may not be people. It may be yeah. just that quiet time with with God. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be getting into His Word. It may be. I mean, I really feel like everybody knows what they mm-hmm. need to do to some degree, and there's that that stirring in their heart to mm-hmm. um, to to do it, but they kind of dig their heels in a little bit.
0: So, yeah, that's good. Okay. So before we wrap up, I, you mentioned your job and I just Mm -hmm. throughout this whole conversation, I just feel like this, the word over your life in my opinion right now is just redemption. Mm -hmm. I mean, completely. And then now what do you do for a job and how is that redemption (laughs) full circle of your accident?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm in orthotics and prosthetics now and how that, uh, worked out was when the accident happened, I was working construction and, um, I was working construction because the lifestyle I led. I dropped out of high school. I didn't have a high school degree. I didn't have anything, any education at all. So I went right into doing manual labor and working construction. And and obviously, that I did that for a little bit even after my accident. Um, and but eventually, I was working for the school district, and I was a custodian. And my it was during the summer, so uh, my hours were six to two uh, thirty and like I said, we lived in central Washington. My practitioner they saw that tr- that treated me for my prosthetic care was over in Bellevue, which is over by Seattle. And it's a two and a half hour drive over two mountain passes and they get pretty nasty in the wintertime. And I would drive over there for like a 20 minute appointment, you know, and spend the whole day over treacherous roads and yeah. just for that. And so one day I, I told them, I said, Sean, I said, I said, you need to open up an office in Wenatchee, uh, which is where we lived. And so I don't have to drive so far and just joking. Of course, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, Oh yeah. And then one day phone rings in the house and he's like, Hey, it's Sean. He goes, I opened up an office in Wenatchee. And I'm like, cool. That's great. So I started seeing him
0: for mm-hmm. care there.
1: And, um, I would, I was off at two 30 every day at the school district. And a couple months after he moved there, he says, Hey, I really need help getting this place set up. Can you come in after you get off work, work for four hours and help me out? And, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, let's do it. Cause I use the extra money, you know, I'm yeah. a young kid. And so we, I started working for him about four hours a day. And he's like, do you just want to do this for a living? And I'm like, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. He goes, I'll train you. He goes, it'll, it'll be fine. And so I worked for him and, and got all the hours I needed and I got certified in 2008. So yeah. And I've been doing it ever since. So 20 years this year.
0: Wow. Have you... Do you feel fulfillment in that of you know helping mm-hmm. someone figure out what they can do or maybe see something in them that they don't see in themselves? you know I imagine mm-hmm. it would be rewarding.
1: I do I recognize all these things and all these kind of milestones, I guess in my life as being God ordained. yeah, and my job is is just that and uh when when I went into it, I'm like, okay this this will give me the opportunity to be able to talk to people that are going through the same struggles that I went to, went through and wondering if anybody understands and they'll give me the opportunity to, to visit with them. And um, I've worked in two different offices, one in, you know, one in Washington for 17 years and then this this one here in in Bozeman for 3 years now. And both both companies have have allowed me to have kind of free reign to tell my story, to sit in there with people, you know, that are considering an amputation or Mm -hmm. have recently had an amputation. Um, And a lot of these people there, there are traumatic injuries, but a lot of these people are, they still have both their legs and they are, they're facing this decision of like, do I amputate? Or do I keep going with what I'm doing, you know? And so I've had so many opportunities to, to talk with them and just sit and visit with them about what to expect, what this looks like. And I understand how you feel. And just them knowing that I've been through it and I can empathize with them has made a huge difference, you know, uh, in, in their, in their decisions for one and how they feel after it. And it, both companies they, I have free reign to talk about my faith which is, which has been great. So I, and I share my faith with them every time.
0: Have you, do you have a cool story of that with, does anyone come to mind? Um,
1: well, I mean, the latest one was this, was this young girl and she, she was probably 20 when I first met her. So right around the same age I was Mm. when, um, when I lost my leg and she had a series of different injuries to her leg and so which led to infection which led to all this stuff so she could hardly walk she was on tons of medications and so she was she was making the decision at this point in her life you know being a young athletic girl even though she had this leg issue um Mm -hmm. she was she was in constant pain like she couldn't stop it and she couldn't and she was always on medications because it was constantly getting infected Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I just remember sitting down with her and we were talking and telling her my story and, and, and like she made the decision to get her leg amputated and, um, she's doing awesome. Like she's like, she, she sent me a video literally just a few months after her amputation of her running with, with her prosthesis, you know, and she, and her and I have become fairly close. And so, so Sarah and I, and then her and her brother, uh, we went on a hike, and we both, you know, went on a hike this last year with with our legs and all this mm-hmm. stuff, you know. And so we were kind of—it was just kind of cool that to, to yeah. be able to, to do that, you know. And I, she wants to—she texted me just a, a couple days ago. She wants to come up to the house and hang out with her brother and stuff. And so, I don't know. It's just kind of a—kind of a cool—
0: Well, and it's like pay it forward of Jack and Holly, uh-huh. right? you know, doing that for you. And now yeah. you you get— to do the same thing for other people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. So, and there's been a lot of instances over the years where I've had, I don't necessarily think that like those people we've, we've developed a really tight relationship or anything. A lot of these people, I, I see them, they, they get their leg amputated or whatever. And then I don't see them for years, Hmm. you know, so I don't know how they're doing. And I don't know necessarily if anything I said, made a difference in their life or not, you know, yeah. but I just want to take advantage of
0: every opportunity that I have. Yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. Because the days are evil, right? So the word says making the <laughs> yeah. most of every opportunity. Yeah. This has been amazing, Jason. I'm like, I could just like keep going for a long time, but I have one final question for you. Yeah. What do your tattoos mean?
1: So the one on my right arm is James one twelve. It's blessed is the man who perseveres under trial mm-hmm. because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And that um, that tattoo comes from, I did a men's prayer group that we met every, every Thursday morning at six in the morning and we would pray for an hour. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of the prayer group, we would huddle up like we we're in a, like a football team. Mm -hmm. And we'd all recite that, that verse. And during that time was a really, just a really rough time in our, in our life, you know, um, that's a whole other story, but it meant a lot to me. And so, Mm -hmm. so I, I got that on my right arm. My left arm is Hebrew and it's Hanani, which is here I am. And I got that because we had a Messianic Jew come and talk at our church. And if you've ever had an opportunity to hear and talk to a Messianic Jew, they're awesome. Yeah. They're so cool. And they are so smart and they're so knowledgeable. With Jewish people, every word has a meaning. Mm-hmm. Everything has a heart to it. And when God called to Moses and Abraham, and they and they would answer Hanani, it it it's a it's a heart issue, they would say. Hanani means the answer is yes to the question before I even know what you're going to ask me. Hmm. Whatever you want, God. Yes. And so I'm like, wow, that is probably the, that's the heart I want to have. And that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And I'm like, I'm getting it on my arm.
0: That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I figure when people have stuff on their arms, it, it, yeah. Has to be pretty important. So, <laughs> yeah. and I thought it was Hebrew. I was like, "This is probably about God." So, <laughs> yeah. we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Is there anything that you would want to share that I haven't asked you about?
1: Oh man, um, you know, I would say probably we have an idea of what what our lives are supposed to look like, and sometimes as believers, we have a tendency to think that being a Christian solves all of our problems and that it's going to be really easy. And that's not what God tells us at all. You know, if, if anything, we hear a a theme that it's, it's almost the opposite of that, that we are going to face trials and we're going to face situations. And that's okay because this life is, is a blink of an eye and we have Mm -hmm. a short amount of time to make the best of this life that we possibly can. And then we're going into eternity and we're going to realize how, All these little things that we thought were so big in this life, how much they didn't really matter
0: that much. Well, that's an amazing note to end it on. (laughs)
1: Thanks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for people to listen to this. Thank you so much for your time. Bet thank you. Man, I am going to have to take some of those lessons with me, just thinking about my trials and losses in a new way of what it could be gaining me in the unseen realm. Thank you to Jason for coming on the show, and I'm sure a great thank you to him would just be taking a moment and praying for him and his family. That would be fantastic. And another reminder, my memoir, Swimming for Freedom, is officially released. You can get it on Amazon or other sellers, but also head to my website, tarabradham.com, put in the code, all caps, VFV20, and that'll get you a $3.99 discount, and I will autograph that book. I would love to encourage you in that way. That is it for me, and we will see you guys here again next week.